Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Nikki C., and welcome to another episode of Life Got in the Way, a podcast that is dedicated to growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's special guest is author, screenwriter, and entrepreneur Joseph Rivers, aka the Prince of Nostalgia. He is the owner of Land of Nostalgia, a 90s vintage clothing brand. So come and join us as we sit down and talk about his journey and how it all started. All right, everyone, you guys ready? Let's go. The Prince. The Prince is in the building. The Prince of Nostalgia. The land of nostalgia. I had the pleasure of connecting with you. The first time we connected was on Instagram. I was new. I don't even remember my Instagram handle, but I was new to Instagram. And then I looked at your profile. I was like, all right, I definitely have to connect. And I'm always following content creators who are... um, who are have the same or similar backgrounds to myself. So I thought that was like really cool. Yeah, that was really cool that you were writing and I just saw that you were posting all the time and I just saw your numbers continuously go up. You're always constantly hustling and getting things done and now you're your creator and owner of your own businesses and um I would just love to know more about your companies, how you got started, where you plan yeah. to go from here. Me and the listeners, are, we're here. Our ears are open. So I'm going to let you tell us the beginning. I'll start it. I could definitely give you some of the background. It's funny that everyone asks me, I'm like, you sure you want to hear that? Um, so I am from the West Coast. I'm from Compton, California. And I would say that's where everything started. Uh, believe it or not, uh, a different world is like a reason, a part of, part of the reason why I created a company named Land Nostalgia. Because everything that that show embodied, I just felt like that was what made me passionate about being a creator in itself. So watching that show over the years, um, I tried to take bits and pieces of that energy from that show. And I said, if I can incorporate that into my brand, I said, this would be unheard of. I didn't see anyone doing that, which is why I'm always wearing certain glasses or I'm always trying to wear a certain attire that resonates with the 90s. Just because I'm really trying to bring that energy back. But I want to say in 2000, maybe 13, 2014, I had an idea. Um, growing up in Compton, California, I'm here with my grandmother. We were sitting in the living room. I said, I wanted to create something. I said, I was already did the writing thing. And I felt like I was at a standstill with the writing thing because I was an intern. A lot of people don't know that about me. They feel like, oh, you just became a writer or you just started it and you just took off. No, no, no. I was an intern for two years. Yep, I was here at Paramount Pictures. And that was eye-opening for me because it taught me the ins and outs of the writing industry. It taught me things that I thought that I knew. Um, it also opened my eyes to see that there was space for me there. Uh, there was a, a void that was missing. There was no one was talking about the 90s anymore. So I was like, okay, if I can bring back the 90s perspective and through writing content, this will be cool. Um, so through my transition of uh, creating and going through the internship, um, I sat down in the living room and I was thinking like, okay, Grandma, you got to hear me out. What do you think about my name, Prince of Nostalgia? She was like, oh, no, 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 no. She was like, Prince of Nostalgia. I was like, yeah, what do you think of that? 
she was like, I get where you're going with it, but tell me more. But once I start putting that that idea out there to her, and I always I always run things by her because I, I believe my grandmother is the reason that I'm here right now. And I explained to her why I wanted to create my writer name to be Prince of Nostalgia. I explained to her every single day I went to work as an intern, I felt that there was a space missing that I would fill. And she said, well, tell me more. And I just turned on a different world for her. And I said, look at this. Let's, let's watch this episode. And then I'll write something for you after. And I want you to see how similar my style is to what's missing. We watched the episode. And then I remember I wrote her three poems. And it was just all 90s content, just speaking to 90s creators and keep, keeping that energy alive. Um, the moment after we had our conversation, she literally was like, I understand why you named yourself Prince of Nostalgia. And at that very moment, I ran with it. Once my grandma kind of blessed it, I was like, I'm Prince of Nostalgia forever now. Um, from there, the internship, I created the Land of Nostalgia idea, not the company. I just created an idea. And that idea was if I can in some way connect writing, where I come from, and business together, those would be the three things I wanted to do in life. Like, I'm born to be a writer, I love business, and I love 90s. So if I can figure out a way to connect all three energies together, there's no way I won't be doing what I love. I always tell, especially young people who I speak to, if you find yourself doing something that you no longer can remember why you started doing it, you probably don't love it as much anymore. And you probably got to really go out there and soul search and find out what makes you happy, what do you love about it. I've asked myself several times, what do you love about nostalgia? And when I asked myself other things that I was passionate about growing up, and asking myself what I love about it, I learned that over time I didn't love it anymore. So the start of who I am came from the idea that one, it was connecting myself with what I love. Two, it was figuring out fit in. Am I a writer? You know, am I a business guy? Am I just a guy who likes 90s clothes? No, I was all three. And with that idea came the Prince of Nostalgia, which created something bigger called the Land of Nostalgia. Nice, nice. Okay, yes, you combining all three. Yes, uh, the '90s was such a pivotal moment in our in our careers. I mean, in our careers, in our lives. Just, just be a part of it. And so, I love that you're recreating that. Like you said, that nostalgia. And yeah. yes, you know, when you get that grandmother's seal of approval, you know, you yeah. made it. <laughs> you like stop the presses. It's a funny story. When I was growing up, uh, literally, I, was, I knew I was going to college already. I just didn't know which one. And I had mm-hmm. no chance of going to HBCU until I watched, until I really resonated with the different world. Like, I'm going to Hillman. And she was like, I don't know if that college is, is actually is this. I said, well, I'm going to anything that resembles <laughs> Hillman, you know. So for me, that like that's the reason why I went to HBCU, that show. So the 90s yeah. were a powerful moment, especially for those who were, trying to figure out how to become a creator. Definitely. It's like, you like you know, I know we all wish we could just be like, you know, I'm just going to start. I don't need no yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but how was it for you transitioning from the nine to five into saying, you know what, this is what I'm going to pursue full time? Gotcha. So I think right now, um, for me, the most powerful thing that I try to teach people is I never really let go of the nine to five. And there's a reason for that. I reduce my hours working nine to five, but I truly say I, I don't let it go. And the reason why I don't let it go is because the nine to five is what keeps me disciplined. The nine to five mm-hmm. is what reminds me of this is where you started. Um, and the reason what, that you started was to get away from the nine to five. But I learned something along the way. I learned that me having that nine to five, and even if I work three hours a day or four hours a day, I'm um, at the tech company I currently work for as well. 
being there makes me like it's a weird energizing presence and it's like yes you have the creative but do you have the discipline and i say this because there was a time when i fully left the nine to five and i felt like i got really 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 relaxed comfortable and it seemed like i lost a lot of the motivation that i would typically have when i was working to try to get away from the nine to five so i figured okay if i can keep that feel but somehow keep my dreams first, my goals, my aspirations first. But I keep that energy that the nine to five gives me. Like I gotta come here, and that's what it teaches me. You gotta get the job done. You have to report here for a few hours. You like you don't get to leave until it's done. And I translate that into my creative life. And I like to this day, right now, I'll tell you the one place I love to go to is my nine to five. Uh, and I think the biggest misconception that I hear is that you have to let go of one to have the other. And I tell especially young entrepreneurs, and this is when I talk about business, I tell them the smartest thing you can do is your nine to five fun, your passion. And I think sometimes young people say, well, how am I supposed to do this? I go, I go to work from nine to five. And I always remind them, well, the most important hours, especially for an entrepreneur, are 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. So even if you go all day, it's taking that extra step. For me, having a nine to five and always keeping one, even if it's part time, it teaches you discipline. Yes, I know it's, it's great to leave it and turn, turn away and never look back. But for me and entrepreneurs that I mentor, I tell them, the longer you can keep a part-time job, the more disciplined you will come when it's time to run your own company. And I think that's why a lot of young people, once they actually create a company or they create a brand, they become overwhelmed by the amount of work they have to do. Then hours become real. You're not like when you're responsible for your own brand, it's 24 hours a day. You know, if you have a meeting where you have something to get done, you don't get to just say, I'm off the clock. It's your brand. It's your business. Like, so many times I'll get my 9 to 5, and then I'll go to my actual job with my own employees, and then when I come home, it's the moment I think, oh, I can kick my feet up and watch a different world. Boom, I have to jump right into another meeting like that. But it's the discipline from knowing that I have to go somewhere. I have to get something completed, and I am required to be here to set amount of time. I love that. Talking about the discipline, that is such an important element to being successful, especially as writers, being able to, yeah. to utilize that. You started writing that you, you've done in the past and what you continue um, to still do or if, you've, if you have things in the future that you're looking to put out. They don't know that I started writing books. That was like my intro into writing. That's what I was passionate about. Um, in 2010, I dropped a book that was really, it went crazy. I just wanted to tell my story growing up in County, California. Never let life circumstances define who you are. I created a book called A Young Man with a And then I didn't even know at that time I was still had this is to be like a business owner. So before it was Latin and brand called A Young Man with a Plan. And that went by when I went to events, like A Young Man with a Plan is here to speak. And it was that one book. That one book taught me, like, okay, I maybe have something to work for something like that maybe they can write. And I remember trying to be as transparent as possible. I remember I told the editor I want it raw. I want it to be Compton. I want people who read it to register. And just because I don't think that's always in books. Read things that are a little bit more uncut, a little bit more. They don't, it doesn't have to be polished for me. And that was my reason for my first work has to be unpolished. I want them to know I'm someone who's trying to emerge here and I'm just like you. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. Yes, I, I go to the same high school as you guys. I, I face the same issues as you guys. I've dealt with the bullying. Like, so I wanted to connect to my audience. And that first book displayed and demonstrated every single commodity of who I was and wanted the audience to know who I was. 
once it came out, I can I, to this day I still don't know how it sold a hundred thousand copies like around the world. That's something that's just amazing for me. Like being like a new writer, never trying it before, and on your first try, it's like it comes out of success. And then I'm going now. I'm going to different events and venues, and I was speaking on stages to for NBA and NFL about the book, and I'm like, wow, I got something going on here. Um, but that was my how I started. Once I got into maybe my second or third book, I did go put a big break between the first and second book, maybe about a year and a half, just because I also learned the business side of how the industry works as well. Um, it's a really, really political game. And if I can give anyone any advice, especially when it comes to writing, me being a writer, me being a screenwriter, me being an author, the more you can do for yourself, always do it. Um, I think sometimes we get caught up on other people telling us, like, it's good. No, you just have to know that it's good. And that was one of the, that was the reason it took me so long to come back to writing. Because I had spent so much time waiting for other people to validate my work that when I was trying to create something new, I didn't know that I pretty much invested in all these people to tell me that my work wasn't good. And I was like, well, I have a circle around me now telling me my work isn't good. But at the same time, I'm paying them more money to help me make it good. So I literally took a hiatus from just writing in general. I said, I'm going to figure this out. And a year and a half, I came back with a book called Free Spirits. And in that book, that was me just saying, like, I found freedom and independence. Like, I found, like, I'm an independent creator. I am not meant to be tamed. I'm not meant to be chained down. I'm not meant to, for someone to try to control my thoughts. And at that moment, it's truly where I found myself as a writer. Um, I followed up after Free Spirits with a book called Lost Souls. And then that was just really trying to talk to my audience even more. I was like, okay, I gave you guys the free spirit thing. Now listen to me. This is for anybody who feels lost. So that was my thing. I was like, I'm going to, every single feeling that I feel going through this process, I'm going to make sure that my audience knows it so they can figure out a way, you know, uh, any advice they need, they can open this book and look at it and be like, okay, I found something in there that resonates with me. Seven books later after that, because I have a total of 10 now, which is kind of crazy for me. Uh, the ninth book I started with screenwriting, I try, I start transitioning into it, but I was still a beginner, which is why I became an intern. Um, I became an intern at Paramount Pictures I was like, because I wanted to know what it took to become a screenwriter. I needed to see the process. I needed to understand, like, can I do this? I knew I could do this, but I had to tell myself that I can do this. And for me, I'm one of the hands-on type people. Like, I got to see it. I got to understand it. For me, I'm looking at how every wheel is spinning here, and it's like, okay, I think I can do this. Um, but when I got there, to my surprise, I thought I was going to immediately go to a writer's room. It's like, no, interns don't work like that. I never forget, they put me in the archives department. And when I first got there, oh, I was like, man. like, what is the archives department? This is like, not going to so, get me where I'm trying to be. <laughs> so far away from writing screenplay. And then my first day, they take me down to this big vault. And I was like, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be checking in props and uh, any props that are needed. You're pretty much shipping them there, making sure that they come back to the vault. And it's like, that's your primary job. And she's like, and by the way, I need you to grab me a coffee. And I'm like, okay, where's the paper, pen? Where's the other writers? This is not what, <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. And um, get the coffee. Yeah, and I have to get the coffee. So not only am I guarding the props, you know, I got to get the coffee too. And I think that was the most humbling part uh, for someone like me who had reached this, who had had some success already. I wasn't new to writing. I was new to screenwriting. Like I had just, for me, it was like, wait, I just, I just put out a book that did 100,000 copies, like, where's the respect around here, you know, but I learned that that taught me one of my most valuable lessons, that no matter where you go, what industry you go, no matter who you work with, 
you walk in like a sponge. There were so many things that getting that coffee taught me. Once again, it goes back to it taught me discipline. It taught me that I had to wait my turn. It taught me you may not know who you meet when you're going on your way to get that coffee, which happens several times. I go get the coffee and then I meet someone like, hey, you're an intern. And then before you know it, I'm making connections and networking. So there was even a learning lesson for me in grabbing the coffee. Um, but being there at the end, now I'm at the internship level, and I'm still just waiting for my break to get in the door as a screenwriter. The book thing, I think I had figured it out. For me, it was like, I know how to market a book now. I know how to put a brand behind a book, but I want to take this higher. Um, it had to be towards the end of my internship. I had tried everything to get my foot in the door. Like I tried to go to events that didn't even involve me. I tried to work overtime. I tried to make myself available just so I can get upward. And the archives department, if you if just to paint a picture for you, it's kind of underground. So I wasn't even I wasn't even up on solid ground with my. Yeah, I'm thinking like, how do I get up there, you know? <laughs> and it it wasn't until the end of my internship, like the very very last day, uh, my supervisor says to me like, hey, I want you to meet someone, and I'm like, there's nobody else I can meet. I'm not grabbing no more coffee. Today is my last day. Cal, check me out. <laughs> Check me out. So it's like, I know you, that you're passionate about writing, and I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, he's a director at Fox, and I told him all about your passion. Excuse me? So she's like, I've already set up the lunch. She literally set up the lunch immediately. And I go over there, and before I know it, I'm sitting in front of the director or producer for Bones, and I'm like, okay, I, oh. I see what, how this process works now. And that was how I got into screenwriting. That one conversation my last day when I felt like, I just did a two-year internship. It got nowhere. Like, I have to figure out another strategy. On the very last day, which teaches me discipline, but the very last day of the process was when I actually got a sit-down meeting with a producer. The meeting went amazing. I was nervous. I was shaking. And he entered, like, immediately at the end of our conversation, we ate lunch, and he didn't tell me to come down to the studio yet. I'm like, man, I, did I mess this up? So as we're walking away, he goes that way, and then I go the other way, and I'm like head down, like, man, how did I screw this up? He's like, hey, Joseph, you ever been to a writer's room before? He was like, because I'm inviting you, I don't oh, in a writer's wow. room. Like, yeah, so that, that's how it started right there. That is what's, uh, that sounds so exciting and so inspiring, because, you know, it's it's so, it's such an industry that's so hard to break into, and people get discouraged because they go yes. through this this um, like you said, you were in the archives, and you're like, yeah. I don't even see screenplays. I don't even talk to anyone. No one will ever okay. visit me. But you know, you were building a a, a rapport with this yeah. person who you know who was like, I see you, and I see you putting in the work, even though you're not where you think you are. And a lot of times that happens. It's not about it's about what you know, but also who you meet, and and how what you experienced it along the way. So. That is awesome that you were able to to take that experience and and have such a uh, rewarding um, moment uh, with that. So yeah. How did it feel when you broke a million in sales? It's that's still so surreal to me. It's like one of those moments, and I like I just did another interview, and that same question was asked. And I stumble on this question because for me, there's still so much work to be done. Like, if people would know how much we haven't done yet, and for me, as a person who who's like the leader of this company, I always feel like I'm behind. 
So for us to hit and make a million dollars in sales, and I feel like we're behind right now, yes, it's an indication that we are on the right path, but for me, it hasn't really set in yet. And my friends tell me all the time, you don't just take the time to smell the roses. I'm like, I do. I'm trying to, but I'm behind on 50 projects right now that I'm trying to catch up on. But this goes back to like confirmation for me uh, that I made the right decision, Um, confirmation that the journey wasn't, you know, all the struggles I had to go through wasn't for no reason. Um, all the decisions I had to make to take my creative works and creative rights and fight for those and get those back under my umbrella was the right decision. And for me, I think finding that confirmation is what keeps you going because it would have been easy for me. And I've, I've heard it. Most startups fail within the first year. You have to have a certain type of brand or they just don't work. And I've heard so many strategists who would look at my brand, especially when I started, like, this isn't going to do anything. Like, you you have a writing for, like, a production company under there. Then you have clothes. Like, it's just everywhere. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm trying to put together the three things I love to do under one umbrella. So when I think about, you know, when my team's like, we did a million. I'm like, we did? You know, it's almost unreal. Then it's like, okay, we got to figure out how to get the two million now. We can't stop here. We got to keep going. Um, the best part about it, though, I would say is that I was able to create something that I actually love. And I was talking to my CEO at the tech company. And I was like, this is your baby. You made it. I said, you built this company up. It's doing $10 million a year. And I always asked him, how does that feel? You know, like that's something that you created, that you sat in your bedroom, you put those ideas to paper, and you translated your vision to the world. And now it's big. He's like, it's an, it's an unspoken feeling. And he was like, I'll tell you, the first two to three years was tough for me. And he said, when I look at your progress and I look at mine, he was like, my first year, like I barely made a penny. And he was like, you've done a, a million dollars in your first year. And I think hearing, and that's what I said I love about having nine to five as well, is because I'm able to bounce ideas off of those who I consider are providing me value and knowledge. Like he doesn't know that conversation about how he started and where he was in his first year and why I should never stop meant more than anything. And he, It took for him to say, we're going to celebrate this and we're going to go out to eat. And I remember he taking me out to eat and I'm like, even though I'm sitting there, like, what am I celebrating? It's like, think for a second. You just hit a milestone. And I think now it's becoming more like for me, like, wow, we actually accomplished that. And if people will read what I wrote on, a, I have a little piece of paper and it's pretty much um, someone asked me, you know, where do you see your, where do you see this company in the next five years? And I wrote on a piece of paper, well, I'm going to make a million dollars in revenue. And that's what I put in the next five years. So to look at my paper now, like, uh, I think I may need another piece of paper now, you know, because I've already <laughs> right. surpassed that. But it's finally starting to uh, see, soak in with me. My employees don't let me forget it. Um, it's something that they're proud of. I think every team, I mean, every CEO, boss, or visionary has a village. Um, I'm happy to have the village that I have because they truly will, They, when I'm not proud, they will be proud. They come to work like we did this. And I love that that's the spirit that they had. And for me, as the, the visionary, just let's keep going. Let's Let's show the world what we really can do. We have so much more to offer.
I really believe a part of my career has come from the mentorship. And when I say that, um, not only did you got to think I wrote the book, the first book when it came out, I told you I did a lot of speaking. Like it seemed like anybody who had a stage wanted me to speak on it. I was going around every high school in Southern Cal, um, literally uh, my high school, uh, Compton's high school, and I didn't even go to Compton, all the way to Palmdale, all the way to Louisiana. I just know I was speaking everywhere to where I was in college at the time and I was trying to keep up with my studies. So I literally would uh, be at the airport doing homework while I'm going to my next speaking engagement. And I remember one day I, was like, I asked my grandma, I said, why do I have to speak everywhere? I said, like, I feel like I'm getting up there and I'm telling the same story over and over. And it was that moment my grandma said, but you don't know how many people you're helping. She was like, to see you get up on that stage and you tell these, she said, you tell these, you telling these babies that they can do it. And I was like, and I think for me, that's when I knew like, okay, even though I say like, I, I don't want to speak anymore, or that's not where my heart is. There's something about me that loves helping people. There's something about me that loves inspiring people. And typically most people you would think is that has to be something tangible. And for me, I learned that, wow, my voice is powerful enough that it's inspiring people to want to do more. So many conversations that I've had children that I've mentored, especially high schools, I get it a lot. Like, I don't want to go to college. I'd be like, well, let's talk about that. Why do you want to go to college? I don't think college has anything for me. Oh, I, well, I felt the same way when I first went. I literally just wanted to be a writer. But I also love uh, medicine as well. And then once I start sharing some of my experiences with them, I've learned that mentorship was actually changing some of these young people's lives that when I spoke to them. I've had mm -hmm. kids that tell me like I'm dropping out. And I'd be like, let's talk about it. That's my favorite word. Let's talk about it. Because once I yeah. get them talking about it, I feel like that's when it's a, it's a little bit deeper than mentorship because now I'm connecting with you. I'm going to share my experience with you. I'm going to share my roadmap. And for me, that passion that you see on those children's face when they feel that you've invested into them, like I didn't just say, I give, this, I give the kids my personal number. Like if you need anything, text me, call me, let's talk about it. And that's one thing I'll have them, they'll text. They're very respectful. They'll text like, hey, I just really need some advice. And now what I've noticed, I used to get a lot of text messages saying like, I don't want to go to college. And I used to be like, God, I got I to gotta work on him. got to work on him. I'm learning them by names, hundreds of kids. And now my text message is like, hey, this is the colleges I've got approved into. Can you, can you let me, can we talk about which ones you would be interested in? So I'm learning that the mentorship for me meant that I'm able to help inspire someone to change their life around. And to me, there's, there's no amount of work I do that's more important than that. A life of service. Yes. Service is so important. Service is so important. And, 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 and it's a, an important element that a lot of people I love when you hear about people giving back, giving back yep. to the community and doing all of those things. What do you wish you would have known when you first started that you um, learned over the years, but something that maybe you wish you would have known the years ago? Um, I wish I would have known for me, that's a, that's a question I still think about. Um, and I think I just wish I would have understood that I could do it. And when I say that, I didn't really understand the concept. I had to be around others to kind of validate me, to make me believe, to make me think that I could do it. And I wish when I started that I would have came in with the mindset of like, no, you can do this. Like, yes, it's okay to fall. It's okay to stumble, but those stumbles don't define your journey. 
every time I stumbled when I first came in, I thought it was the end of the world. Like, oh, I can't do this or I'm not going to get the job. I always looked at things, the bad things. I mean, the bad side of things. I never looked at the learning lessons in it. And I wish if I would have just entered with a little bit more confidence. And the thing is, people don't teach confidence. Te- te- people teach you that when you come in, you know, you ask a lot of questions, you be humble as possible, and whatever whatever constructive criticism you get, you adapt to that criticism and you become better. But there were certain times when I knew the answer or I knew the direction, but because I didn't have that confidence or I didn't have that belief in myself, I would sit there. And I, I sat there and was silent through opportunities that people were trying to give to me, but just because I didn't answer the question, I didn't get that opportunity. Like I, That wasn't my first time going to a meeting with the director before. That was just my first, the one that I told you about when I finally got my first shot in the writer's room. That was not my first time sitting down with the director. That was the first time I told the director what I want. That was the first time I told the director mm-hmm. what I could bring to the table. That was the first time I told the director I'm confident in my abilities. Like the other times, I just sat there and said nothing. And, you know, this was years and years of not feeling sure of myself. And it was nobody on the planet who can teach me that. Like I had to, I had to understand that my talents, my creative voice is valid. And until I understood that, I couldn't progress how I wanted to. So if it's something that I could, you know, wish I would have learned or wish I would have known, it was that, that your thoughts are valid, your ideas are valid, you have the right to create just like everyone else in this room. You're brilliant. You're great. You're amazing. If I would have spoke those affirmations over my life prior to coming into this industry, I think I would have been, you know, light speed ahead of where I am now. Yes. Yes. I love that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we have enjoyed talking with you today. Um, and if listeners want to get more information, about you well you you said it already the prince of nostalgia at the prince of nostalgia on instagram uh twitter i'm there uh, i answer questions uh prince the author i get a lot of tweets that come in just about they want just advice uh, so you can always hit me up there um the business pages of course uh people don't seem to think i'm connected to them or like he doesn't check this we know i actually do read the stuff on there as well so official land of nostalgia and that's across the board on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, but I think everybody knows if you're trying to get reach me directly or trying to see any new projects I have coming out, anything I'm working on, you can add the Prince of Nostalgia on Instagram. It's linked to everything else. So you can find me there. It's nice. Okay. Well, you've heard it from the Prince himself. So that about wraps up this episode. But don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. for a new episode. And remember to hit the subscribe button so that you won't miss any episodes. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Nikki C. And remember, it's time to get back to dreaming again. And if not now, then when?